Hello and welcome to another edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Podcast, podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today is July the 22nd, 2020. This is episode 326? 27? I thought we hit 30 yet. Or hit 230s. 237. I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This is another marooned edition of the podcast, which means we are recording remotely from our own houses. If you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is quite yet, we are a podcast all about movies, television, video games, and music, not necessarily in that order. All right, where are the fun steroids at? Because we need to inject some livity into this podcast. <laughs> we got no, we got no steroids, fun or not fun. I don't know. the The world has not made it fun or fun to be fun. <laughs> no, no, this is a fun, a no fun zone here. Well, I don't know. Some of my news, our news stories are no fun at all. So <laughs> right, we're gonna try to ex- extract some fun out of out of this current events here on the Media Boat Podcast. Know, th- th- this episode's probably going to be a downer just by reading what we have. Yeah, but, but we'll inject some fun next week. But for try. now, some more serious talk, I guess. You get to talk about baseball. How is that not fun? Yeah, but that's at the end. <laughs> I know. Uh, my name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Media Boat Podcast coming at you. Yeah. From- Five seasons, four seasons, and uh, yeah, and uh, real quick before we start the show, I just want to pl- do a plug early as um, people who have been watching our social media channels already know this. But guess what's back? The Media Baseball. Boat Podcast website. Oh, yes, baseball. I mean, Media Boat Podcast website is back up. We are putting up thoughts on stuff we are watching, yes. viewing, reading, playing, yes. recording, listening to. <laughs> sort of yeah most of those things um maybe except for a few uh but but yeah uh we put up a story every single day last week so if you want to catch up on our thoughts about some of the stuff we're going to talk about on this very podcast alongside new releases go check that out it's mediabookpodcast.com and we plan on continuing a drip of content throughout uh just stuff has to start coming out again so that way we can write more because I've run out of things to write about. Well, I guess that means you have to get into a bunch of new stuff now. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm still waiting on your Last of Us write-up. Uh, I thought you wanted to write that, but okay, I guess I can write that up. Let me uh, platinum it first, and then already, I'll write up. You already finished it. You should. Yeah, okay, it. I'm going... So I completed all the... Uh, we'll probably get this in a video game, so I've completed all the trophies for it. Mm. But in order to do all the trophies, you have to do a new game plus to at least get like yourself upgraded fully. Uh, so that's where I'm at right now, doing a new okay. game plus on it. So when I come get about halfway through with that and get the platinum, then I'll have the full review on it. Okay, well, looking forward to that. Well, because it'll help me play through the story again. Yeah. Uh. Mediaboatpodcast.com is where you can see all of that. But for now, let's start with podcast proper. We always start with movies, and we're going straight into movie news. Because no box office. There's still no movies out in a theater that you care about, that is. Unless you want to see Astro Dog and Space Cat. Nothing out there. Ghost Unless you want to do drive-in movie theater with 80s movies playing. 
if you want, that's there for you. But in the meantime, we have movie news. We have a double hit from Warner Brothers this week. They've been in the news for a couple of reasons. First up, they have finally gotten back to the process of making movies, sort of, but with caveats. Studios created an anonymous reporting mechanism in Europe so that cast and crew can alert senior managers if they witness colleagues breaking COVID-19 safety protocols during production. Both Fantastic Beasts and The Batman, movies we already knew about, that we knew were in production, are getting back to production in the UK, and have introduced this reporting tool as a way to encourage best practices on set. Kevin Trahey, who sits on a Warner Media Production Restart tax Task Force, stated that the company is taking time to listen to crew and has hired safety consultants to assuage concerns. He added that Warner Brothers has become our strictest, our own strictest police force, unquote, in terms of coronavirus safety protocols going over and above UK industry guidelines, including those drawn up by the British Film Commission. Now, this is obviously going on at the Pinewood Studios, where Warner Brothers has a really fantastic relationship with them. But hey, I mean, good on them. I mean, some good news, I guess, that their own guidelines are put in place. Yeah. An anonymous tip line, you know, for those who fear facing backlash and possibly out of work, have a way of communicating such. Yeah. I mean, I certainly hope it works. And I certainly hope people remain safe uh, if they're going to be making these movies. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, I guess, like, to see the ball rolling back again on a couple, at least a couple of their big tenfold releases is heartening for at least something to be out later this year. Well, I don't know about Fantastic Beasts being out later this year. Yeah. Because that is a very BFX-heavy production. <laughs> I would assume so is Batman, because this is not a Nolan Batman. No, this is a... Matt Reeves, Batman. This is a yeah. Robert Pat Battinson. Yes, Robert Battinson, our own. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, this is hard for me to get excited about because these are two movies I don't really care about. So Yes, but at the same time, this is Warner Brothers properties taking initial steps, which is something to be happy about. Yeah, I guess. Um, interesting note about the, the Fantastic Beasts, though. This will be the first one since uh, J.K. Rowling's implosion on social media that's been happening kind of slow motion with the last couple of months or years, really. So it'd be interesting to see the, uh, the audience reaction to a Harry Potter film after all of this has happened. Well, I, I think it's just, well, uh, it, yes, that is going to be interesting. It's going to be yeah. quite to see if by the time we do get there, people will have either forgotten about it or ended up not caring as much. I don't know, J.K. has been doing a pretty good job of making people not forget it as often as possible. So we'll see. (laughs) We'll certainly see whenever the hell that movie comes out. (laughs) Moving on, speaking of whenever the hell that movie comes out, Warner Brothers had news about their big tentpole release that was supposed to have come out already, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Hey, great segue. Speaking of that that Batman. (laughs) Right. So Nolan's Tenet is now completely gone from Warner's release calendar. They just wiped the slate clean because who knows when it will be released. The film, of course, was originally scheduled for July 17th, pushed back to July 31st, 
pushed back to August 12th, and now removed altogether. It's it unclear. never existed. Yeah, as if it never happened. Um, so yeah, it's unclear when it will welcome audiences at all, when theaters will be safe enough to open with Tenet inside it. But the studio accepts to announce a, uh, expects to announce a new release date imminently, so we'll hear soon enough when they're planning. Warner Brothers may release Tenet overseas before it opens in the United States due to protocols differing over different countries. Though North America remains the biggest movie-going market in the world, international cinemas look to be, headed, be ahead of the states in their efforts to reopen after COVID-19. And as we've talked about on this podcast, not necessarily on a weekly basis, but the international market does take up a big chunk of a film's box office revenue. But here's the catches. There's a couple of catches, though, that go with this. First up is the obvious. Staggered rollout could raise concerns about piracy and spoilers that could impact demand to see the film. An overseas release could leak. People get uh, hands-on footage in the U.S. It goes up on Reddit, and all of a sudden, everybody knows what happens in Tenet. Everybody knows the big twist. Because it's a Christopher Nolan film, there's going to be a big twist. Mm-hmm. And then it's not going to be a fun experience when we finally get it here. Right. It just takes the one person to be sitting up here with their camera <laughs> filming it. All of a sudden it goes online, like as soon yeah. as the film ends or this, live stream or whatever. Then the other kind of catch with this is that uh, China, theaters cannot screen movies that exceed two hours in length. And of course, again, because it's a Christopher Nolan movie, this thing clocks in two hours and 30 minutes. All right. And as we've talked about on this podcast, China is a big growing market that right. studios heavily cater to for those Chinese box office dollars. So unless you skip China, which is probably a terrible idea if you're trying to make money on this thing internationally, or you edit the film heavily to meet that two-hour minimum, which is going to sacrifice, I'm sure, a lot of Nolan's vision for the film. Does this, do we get into the world of a Chinese edit, an international edit, and a U.S. edit? I felt like we were already there. Like, aren't there already minor differences in a lot of movies that do get localized for China? Uh, I know that in, what was it, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, there were variations on what was said and what was written down, depending on what part of the world it was. I mean, it's common practice, considering we even had a story just a few months ago about how the U.S. government, there was some sort of senator that was trying to pass a bill about not involving the U.S. government in localizing films for China. Mm -hmm. So it's been a constant thing. So that wouldn't be a new thing if there was all of a sudden a China edit for a film. But this would be an interesting... Right, but usually the China edit is longer to include Chinese scenes. This would be a China edit to cut out 30 (laughs) minutes of a film in order to make the regulations. So yeah, Warner's got some real things to think about. And not only with this film, as uh, you probably know if you know anything about their upcoming lineup, two other big Warner releases originally slated for this year are also questionable when they will be released, including Wonder Woman 1984, which was originally dated for October 2nd, and the Dune remake that is currently dated for December 18th. Will either of those make those dates? Probably not. We'll see. I don't know. 
But with Tenant moving out of the way, this does mean that Disney's Mulan is currently the only wide release set for August. And it's not going to happen. Should it happen? <laughs> Disney Disney had, knows probably, they're probably waiting until the last minute to be like, nope, never mind. <laughs> Just in case. So, yeah, it's, see. it's a weird time to be a big budget movie right now because there is no market for you. It would be like you were a television producer who has a show that's supposed to premiere next week and all of a sudden all the cable companies disappear and there's no television to put your show on. <laughs> that's the equivalent. So, well, that's when you go to Quibi. Yes, that's, that's finally when people sign up for Quibi. <laughs> all right. That's it for tele- or movie thoughts. Did you watch any movies? Uh, no. Did I? Did you? Well, no, I watched uh, Avengers Infinity War director's commentary again. That's not a 2020 release. Moving on. (laughs) It's a Disney Plus release. All right, let's let's slide right into television. And let's slide into the sports corner. And I do mean slide because it's here. Baseball returns this week. Uh, Exhibition games have started this week, uh, but baseball officially starts tomorrow with opening day pitches. Yes. Yep. Yep. So look forward to your favorite teams starting their seasons, their truncated 60-game seasons starting tomorrow or Friday. Um, Another baseball news, just to start with the baseball stuff this week, Uh, the Blue Jays have been ousted from their home of Toronto. Uh, the government, the Toronto government decided that they did not want the team to play home games in their stadium. Well, so, more like Canada didn't want yeah, Canada. people from the U.S. coming into Canada right. to play baseball. So, thus, they basically exiled the team and made them find a new location to play. Uh, in the U.S., and they ended up settling in Pittsburgh, PNC Park. Or so you would believe, because okay. as of an hour ago, okay, the health director of Pittsburgh said you cannot play here. So they are still looking for a home. They're still without a home stadium with opening date starting tomorrow. But what my understanding is, is they don't actually have a game scheduled for home until August. Something? Yes, they have two weeks still to find an official home stadium yeah. as they start the 60-game season on the road. Yeah, so they got a little bit of time, but not a whole lot of luxury there to find some place to play home games. So we'll see. Yeah, so that deal with Pittsburgh was made at the beginning of the week, but then literally hours ago was taken away. Yeah. Sucks. Yep. Another baseball news, um, the uh, every, America's favorite scientist and uh, mask advocate, Dr. Fauci, is going to throw the opening day pitch, the Yankees and Nationals game. There you go. I assume he'll be wearing a mask while he does it. Oh, 100%. <laughs> uh, and Mookie Betts has signed a 12-year, $350 million deal with the Dodgers. So he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, I know, it's amazing, especially since they acquired him in February of this year, yeah. and he's yet to play an official game <laughs> as a Dodger. 
I mean, he'll play in just a couple days here. Uh, but yeah, it's still crazy. Yeah, I mean, because he was with the Red Sox for the seven yeah. years prior. Right. And then, yep, uh, he was the American League MVP last year, 20, last year, 2019? Yeah. I think so. Or was it 2018? Either 2018 or 2019, but the Dodgers acquired him this year in a three-player trade, and then they, I guess they like him so much from the spring training that they're just going to sign him for 12 years. They put a $350 million ring on him. That's how much they liked him. Well, hopefully he returns the favor with a World Series ring or multiple. We'll see. I mean, this one's going to have an asterisk on it anyways, or like a metal asterisk coming off of the ring. Speaking of the Astros, uh, <laughs> they were... <laughs> <laughs> uh, they had their um, first exhibition preseason game, and only three of their players were hit with balls. Yeah, only oh, three. Only three. <laughs> only three. Just the three you would expect. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? It's like we all saw that coming. Hey, but they didn't. Oh, no, they saw it coming. That's why they probably turned their back. and <laughs> took. You just eat the pitch like, okay, yeah, you always do the <laughs> Cover. Yeah. You got a 90-mile-an-hour fastball just coming right at you. Yeah, looking forward to see, seeing these uh, um, actual for-reals Astro game, Astros games when the season starts proper. Mm-hmm. We'll see. All right, let's move out of baseball and talk a little bit about sports entertainment with WWE. What is the horror show? So WWE does extreme rules every year. The most extreme. But most extreme, where they kind of like do these insane rules, extreme and outlandish. Like this year was eye for an eye rule, a table rule, a no holds bar rule, and a swamp match. Was it an actual swamp or a yes. set need to look like a swamp? No, it was an actual swamp in Florida. Okay. That they drove out to and just did a whole yeah. staged event for it. Dropped them off and let, 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 let them wrestle for a little bit. <laughs> picked them back up. It's hilarious. It's WWE. It's def- it would definitely try to go extreme, but given that um, it was in the WWE Performance Center, <laughs> they were, again, limited with what they could do. So uh, why is this news? Oh, because this sets up uh, SummerSlam coming in August. Okay, all right. Which is the real news. <laughs> Got it, okay. So SummerSlam is coming up. Yep. Um, currently, that will still be in the Performance Center, but right. who knows? It, who knows what state Florida will be in? Uh, probably not a good state. I mean, it is Florida. <laughs> all right. The All-Star Race. What is this? Is this uh, NASCAR. Okay. This was uh, last weekend, or this was last week, last Wednesday, as we were talking about it while the race was running. Ah. And uh, Chase Elliott won that one. Yeah. No surprise there, as the guy with the fastest car the past three weeks ends up winning a race among the fastest cars. I mean, yeah. I mean, fast cars win races. That's my understanding about how this works. Yeah. Um, what else, what else, what else? Basketball is still scheduled to premiere by the end of the month here. Mm-hmm. And 
good news coming out of Orlando, the first good news coming out of Orlando in a while since the bubble started, is that zero out of the 356 NBA players tested, tested positive uh, for COVID-19, which means the bubble is pure, at least for now. Yes, the bubble is working. They have proven that this concept can work as long as the players themselves adhere to their rules. And they don't exit the bubble. zero positive cases. Yeah, so good so far, but we haven't even started playing yet, so give it some time. Well, they have been practicing, so... Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, speaking of testing, meanwhile in the NFL, as we continue to inch closer and closer to a football season proper, uh, they've agreed to testing. They will test every day, first two weeks of training camp, and every other day if there is a greater than 5% positivity rate from those tests. So they have a, they have a baseline of how they're going to perform the tests, just a matter of starting them up. Uh, yeah, this was part of the NFL PA and the NFL owners, or the NFL PA agreeing to come back that they wanted the testing done. Yeah. So they get, they're going to get testing every single day. And as long as those cases end up being below 5%, then they'll reduce to every other day. Right. So, um, However, in doing so, they give up NFL preseason. Yeah, which is the second biggest part about this. Yeah, so no preseason games will occur. So it'll just be training up until the proper season starts. I mean, this is both good because you save your players from injury, mm. but bad because now those that rookie class that's coming in is going to get pretty much slaughtered week one. Yeah. When they go up against the guns the are immediately team going coming full out. speed. Yeah, exactly. And also it means that you're not going to have um, one of the other like good things about preseason games is you're not going to have an early look at the other team's and their strategies going into the season. You're just going to go straight into it. Except for the LA Rams and LA Chargers, as they will be part of Hard Knocks, which will get a backstage scene. Right. Uh, how's, it's going to be interesting to have a Hard Knocks season without preseason games, though. I mean, they're going to be inner scrimmages, so yeah. there is stuff to fill. And so I guess much that's- of the drama of that show comes from the preseason matchups. Right, and part of that drama comes from watching these rookies make their plays, try and make their name in the league, or at least in the preseason, so they can make the cut. Yeah, it was always kind of a cool thing where you could watch Sunday, like, or the preseason game, and then watch the Hard Knocks episode about that preseason game. It was always kind of neat, and so you Mm -hmm. won't have that element of it this time. Unfortunately, no, but it is, it's something to look forward to. It is football-related TV, and that's all I'm excited for. There you go. There you go. That's one silver lining on that cloud, on that playbook, if you will. Let's talk about, well, actually, is that it for sports? Anything else in sports that we need to add before we move on? Um, I have been watching uh, baseball preseason games. Me as well. Angels and Dodgers. I if you've the noticed, they've been eerily quiet. Yeah, it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I don't think you had this in your notes, and I don't think this is for the local broadcast, but I think at least for ESPN, they will pump in crowd noise. Yeah. Using game crowd noises from MLB The Show. 
So yeah, I witnessed some of this. Um, I watched a game on ESPN on Monday night. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was definitely. I remember I texted you at one point the craziest thing, which is it's so quiet in there that at one point I heard a plane fly over the stadium. Yeah, I saw that was a normal <laughs> thing people were tweeting at during yeah. preseason games. So I didn't uh, also in some stadiums like the Dodgers, if you if you want to spend the money, you can put a cardboard cutout yeah. of you in the stands. They had that in New York as well. Yeah, uh, with that Mets game. I think a third of the facilities are allowing you to do that. Yeah. It's a uh, very pricey though. Uh, you're looking at a grand or more to do that. But you keep the cutout when they're done with it. I mean, that's kind of nice. You just have it, just put it on your, on your, on your wall. Like one of those, one of those fat, fat heads. What are those called? Yeah. They're called fat heads. Okay. Just, I thought I was making that up for a second. No, uh, but I did see some uh, big cutouts of, Little kids and a baby yeah. was one of them. One of my favorite ones. Along with a bunch of celebrities. Yeah, and one of the, my favorite ones I was wa- uh, when I was watching was just a kid just eating a giant hot dog, just, <laughs> just chomping into it. Like that's the picture that they wanted. <laughs> anyway, well, not, not just that, but that's the picture. The dot that it's the Dodgers, right? Uh, or, that was the Yankees. Mets game I was watching, but yeah, yeah that's I'm the sure that, there are that, variants. That, they decided to print out and place there. <laughs> yeah. Because they have the option to say, no, you can't use this photo. <laughs> yeah, but that one was cool, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah, dot, yeah, hot dog. Why yeah. not? Um, so, yeah, like, it's going to be a surreal thing to watch, uh, these games, if the summer camp games are any indication. Just, yeah, like, pumped in crowd noise for runs. You still have the... Um, like the, the all the signage still up and working uh to kind of get that ambiance for the mm-hmm. team i guess um, um the organists are still there playing yeah even though there's no crowd to they, play there's to. still music cues for walk-ups there's still yep. like it's bizarre it's just such a weird thing to watch you can hear the calls like you can hear freaking balls and strikes all day like you're just, <laughs> you're just you can just hear all them all you're like there's no guessing anymore you can hear it it's crazy. Um, so yeah, we'll have more feedback next week as real games start going down. Um, sure. Yeah, actual baseball. Actual baseball to report on. Looking forward to it. But for now, let's move out of sports. Let's talk about television news, why don't we? Our first up story is about Elizabeth Moss. The actress? I guess, or I guess so. actor. They are all actors. Not Everybody's actresses. an actor. Well, Elizabeth Moss has inked a joint first look deal with Hulu and Fox 21 television studios. Moss has also launched her own production company called Love and Squalor Pictures, which will focus on creating TV and film content for all platforms. As part of that deal, uh, Moss is developing an anthology titled Black Match for Hulu, in which she will star. The series is described as a psychosexual neo-noir thriller set in modern-day Los Angeles and comes by, from an original script written by Ian McCulloch of Yellowstone and Chicago Fire fame. Moss has tapped former WME agent Lindsay McManus, not related to that football player. McManus? <laughs> 
it's not, to head her company as president of film and television. McManus was most recently running Diablo Cody's first production company, Vita Vera Films, under a three-year overall deal with Warner Brothers Television. Um, so good for Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, uh, another actress gaining Starting. her um, production company production, off the yeah. ground. I mean, why not, right? Especially now when there's not a whole lot of work to go around. Why not get like yourself some work by making you work for yourself? Yeah, and it's good with Hulu because she's been there for, God, is that going on 10 years now? Probably. With uh, Mad Men going there and then Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, yeah. The Handmaid's Tale stuff is probably where that connection probably got built. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's cool. Um, I mean, good for her. I mean, yeah, we it's being more and more common, especially on this podcast, where we're seeing these these actors like get into the production game when they realize why not? When they have the spare time, when they have the money, when they have the wherewithal and the connections, just why not, right? Right, but also kind of notice how they when they do these kind of deals, the person who ends up running that production studio is usually their agent. Yeah. Or someone from that agency. Yeah. And that kind of ties back into the uh, writer's guild. Yeah. That we were talking about. There's rules. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting, uh, nonetheless. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a cool little thing. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move into our second story, which is a little bit of bits for you. Bits related to things ending as opposed to continuing. All right, so what are we no longer worried about? Well, first up, one of the bigger stories this week was that Viacom CBS has ended its decades-long relationship with Nick Cannon. After what? The actor- yeah, Why? well, it'll make sense in a second. The actor and TV host propagated anti-Semitic conspiracy theories on his podcast. I'm not going to go into it here, but... Look it up and listen to it or read it if you really are curious about what exactly he said. But let's just put it this way. It's not true. And thus, Viacom CBS was like, yeah, we don't want him really associated with this dude if he's going to say stuff like this. Yeah, that this was going to be the main story, but I also didn't want to give him the time or day. Eh, yeah, it's fair. Uh, but in other related stuff to Nick Cannon, he will still be the host of The Masked Singer, because that's unrelated, right. for the next season, Fox yeah. just basically does not like his comments. <laughs> but they love the Masked Singer. But they love the Masked Singer. They love all the money a little bit in. more. <laughs> and in other sides, Nick Cannon versus Viacom CBS, um, he is suing them for the Wild and Out name, and oh, because uh, he wants that still. He wants the IP so he can use it again. Yeah. Yeah. But that's an MTV thing. Yeah. So, well, because isn't it technically Nick Cannon presents Wild and Out? It may be, but it's all up to how that contract was worded, right? Right. Is whether or not he actually keeps that IP. It's probably not his. It's probably Viacom's, which means Mm -hmm. that, yeah, they would just rebrand it as someone else's Wild and Out. Or, you know, just cancel it altogether. Which, from my understanding, it hasn't been on the air in a while. So, yeah, it might just lay dormant for the rest of time. Who knows? Maybe, but he put in a lawsuit, like, shortly following his exit, that he wants that IP still. Yep. All right, next up, 
Ed Henry, Sean Hannity, and Tucker Carlson, all personalities from Fox News, are being sued for sex trafficking, sexual harassment, and retaliation by former employees. Um, I saw a brief little news story, uh, news story about this thing, saying that apparently the, law, the, the text of this lawsuit has a trigger warning in it, which is apparently the first time that that's ever happened. <laughs> like, that's how brutal some of this stuff, I guess, was. So, yeah, uh, needless that's to say... also not good for your case if you have to put no. a trigger warning in it. Yeah. No, not usually, no. So, yeah, um, yeah, this looks uh, not so great for the personalities for Fox News, but then again... Anybody? So yeah, exactly. When you have you know stuff trickling down from the top, uh, yeah, you can expect something like this to happen. I mean, it's good that this is coming out. Part of I assume their attempt to purge all of that evil um, company. Yeah, I mean, this is this is hot off the heels of Tucker Carlson's like main head writer being ousted from the show after being basically have have people finding a bunch of racist things he said on the internet. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just one fire after another over there. Looking forward to the sequel to bombshell bombshell Two. more bombs, (laughs) more more bombshells. (laughs) Bombshell Two: bigger explosion, (laughs) more damage. All right. Next up, Disney is going to scale back advertising with Facebook amid a campaign called hashtag stop hate for profit with more than 1000 companies temporarily halting advertisements in an attempt to coerce Facebook into dealing more forcefully with hate speech and harassment. Yeah. Disney's one of the biggest advertisers on Facebook. I would imagine. I mean, part of it is Disney itself, Disney mobile, Hulu and Disney Plus. So from them pulling all their ads, it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, and if other companies uh, know what's good for them, they'll follow suit. Because I mean, if something someone as big as Disney is going to, I wouldn't be surprised if countless others follow, like just follow their way, as well. Um, yeah, it's it's really a time of reckoning for Facebook right now. Just everything that the Facebook leadership has said whenever called out about this kind of thing has just been really defensive and dismissive. And yeah, it'll, it'll take all of these advertisers and all of this ad money to dry up, I think, for them to finally realize, hey, maybe we should do something about this. Yeah, when the money stops flowing, that's when you start worrying. So yeah, uh, we, may, yeah we may be looking at uh, an interesting future for Facebook going forward. All right. New Facebook, we should all migrate to. No. (laughs) There'll be no new Facebook. Just like they said, there'd be no new Friendster. Bring it back. Yeah, bring it back, Friendster. No, bring it back, MySpace somehow. (laughs) Come back. All right. Um, Netflix, uh, lastly in the bits here, Netflix has canceled filming on its latest Turkish original, If Only, amid pressure from local authorities to remove a gay character from the series. So good on Netflix, I guess, for uh, sticking to their guns and sticking to the content of the show and basically being like, well, no, like you can't tell us what not to do. Like trying to side show run us. Yeah. So 
Yeah, also worrisome about the Turkish government, huh? <laughs> Haven't we always been worried about the Turkish government? <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> uh, it's a big shrug. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, those are the bits. All right. Well, thanks for putting us down there, Matt. <laughs> hey, that's not my fault. You wrote all of this. <laughs> all right. Or you copied and pasted most of it, I'm sure. All right. Let's talk about things we watched on television this week. You watched quite a bit of television this week, it looks like. Uh, yeah, quite a bit, you could say. Yeah. Uh, let's start with last Thursday, because I'm not sure if you watched this too, but 30 Rock had a one-time special called 30 Rock, a one-time special. <laughs> so yeah, we had reported on this. This uh, was kind of a purpose thing it was both a special that brought back a lot of the cast from 30 rock and then also their upfronts um so i missed this uh i've forgotten that it was airing and then was going to watch it then just haven't had a chance so that's okay uh, it was on peacock the next day oh i bet it was uh so how was this thing how did it end up uh it was one big nbc ad from eight o'clock to nine o'clock it was nothing but nbc content we knew all the brands but we knew that going into it it was just amazing that because it was advertised as no ads but continuously showed ads for all their current content and upcoming content yeah and it was kind of a cool way to back end with 30 rock because that is a tv production television show right and the whole basis of it was hey remember how much we loved tv and how we should get back into tv it's kind of the basic premise of it yeah at the same time like showing up like showcasing what should we have for new tv um but the new stuff they showed kind of hit and miss yeah because it kind of felt like a lot of it was incomplete yeah, I'll assume due to the shutdown. So, oh, 100%. <laughs> graphics and stuff were like headlining everything, and not a whole lot of content was actually shown. Like, even the upcoming, what was it? The Kenan Thompson upcoming uh, sitcom uh-huh. was basically a FaceTime call. Yeah. And that felt weird, but it was like, hey, here's our two main characters doing a comedy bit. Yeah. It's basically, I, I mean, it's like I would imagine there's only so much that they had. Not, yeah, but that's not like what you're kind of paying for. But at the same time, that's kind of all they can show and what they yeah. can do. You got to show something, and that's what they had. That's what mm-hmm. they had the ability to do. It's it's a weird time. It's a weird time for television production, and a lot of stuff has been paused. So they don't. They only really have so much material. Right, but yeah, one big NBC ad spot. Also a big plug for Peacock as well, which we talked about last week. And yes. you can read our thoughts or yes. some thoughts on it on our website. Yes, that's on there as well. So how was the actual 30 Rock stuff? Like, was there like some funny bits in there? Did they like even try to like have some sort of like loose story to connect all the bits? Or was there really just like, let's just have Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin go at it and then introduce a clip. Uh, the loose story, it was kind of like a two-parter. The loose story was, 
hey, let's get the 30 Rock gang back together for a reunion special. Mm-hmm. And they all do. And then it's just Jack McBriar saying, you guys didn't, because he's the head of the NBC, like, right. hey, you guys can use Zoom. We knew you were cheating this. Yeah. But I've had all these yes men around me. Tell me what you think of these new spots. And then it goes, and then the second half just goes into, here's the new stuff, and here's all the stuff NBC currently does and why mm-hmm. TV is still good, depending, no matter what it does. <laughs> okay. So it was, it was okay. It was, it was fine. Right. It had some cute bits in it. It didn't make me kind of like want a 30 Rock reunion as much as like the Parks and Rec did. It could happen. But it could happen. It could happen. This kind of leaves the door open a little bit. So maybe. Yeah. It was fine. Uh, but well, what okay. else did you watch? Speaking of Thursday finales. Yes. Labor of Love. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So um, you have a, a, a thoughts post on the website about this thing. And man, this show seems like a doozy. So. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the gist I get, and we talked about it briefly here on the podcast before, but it's the bachelorette, but she's not only looking for someone to marry eventually, she's also looking for somebody to have a child with. Yes, she's not looking for love. She's looking for baby daddy. She's looking for future father material. Right. And kind of love, you know. It, it goes along it with the dating sure, thing. Um, so, this thing sounds terrible. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> Every week it was terrible. Uh-huh. Even the indecision was terrible. <laughs> it was the worst. Would you like to come over here and say something? Yeah. <laughs> in the background? Do you want me to? Only if you want to. Do you want the chat and all that? Would the chat like to... Would you like to hear the chat's thoughts on this? I'm always interested in what the chat You're always thinks. interested in the chat's thoughts. <laughs> All right. The chat has entered the chat. The chat has entered the chat. Hi. Hello. The chat is here. All right. So what were your, th- what did you think about Labor of Love as a production? Where do I begin? Um, it was like the perfect cringeworthy quarantine watch for sure. Because like, you had Too Hot to Handle, and then you have Labor of Love, which are spins of other shows Yeah, in a quarantine-y way, I guess. <laughs> um, the whole time, it's set up for the love of Stuart and Christy. Just the whole time. it's He's like a perfect catch. He's sweet. He cares about her. Everything is going just according to plan, obviously, because they're adorable together. And <laughs> just from the get-go, it's like standout. Yeah. She's weeding through all these guys. And I guess I should have seen it coming. But of course, she ends up picking this other guy who apparently they, and then it very quickly on social media comes out that they're already broken up. They broke up like two months after. <laughs> um Stewart's single somewhere like hello <laughs> I just I mean we'll go get him that was the Twitter it was worth it for like the Twitter fallout from this because just people were going wild because <laughs> there's nothing else to watch so of course yeah. we all were watching the the new aged bachelorette baby 
thing. Um, and now everyone wants Stuart to be the next whatever. Yeah. Baby right. Daddy. I guess. Show? But I uh, yeah, but even in the Instagram post live chat um, following uh, the finale, he said that he didn't want to be the main person because uh-huh. ultimately labor of love is a woman's choice to be in labor and in love. Definitely to be in labor. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's hope. So then she pursued IVF on her own and has not gotten pregnant yet. But hopefully she gets a baby out of that because she's 41, I think. Yeah. But also, like, since that was always an option, even stated at the beginning, that kind of, like, defeats the whole purpose of going through it all if that was always going to be an end option. Well, no, because the producers would argue they got a whole season of reality television out of it. So that's not a loss for them. Right. And that kind of like eggs on to the other aspect that ache in the back of my head conspiracy theory that yeah. she chose the other guy because producers got well, involved. Yeah, I mean, it's what you've been saying this whole like year about reality shows. Right. My, my, my reality screen. clarity of producers yeah. control everything. Right. Well... And do you really want to pick your baby daddy after knowing him for like two months? Because hey, I picked you after knowing you for three days. But you didn't like. <laughs> we didn't get married after three days. It's a little you different. Decided I was your girlfriend, <laughs> and almost six years later, you were right. But <laughs> but anyway. Well, hey, we can go was, fix that right now. Excuse it, us. <laughs> it was definitely cringeworthy. And the finale was, oh, another weird thing about the finale. You know, The Bachelor and Bachelorette, it spreads it. It's like a two-hour finale. They milk every minute. This went from, like, the breakup with Stuart to picking Kyle to the awkward meeting with the sperm doctor in a matter of, like, eight minutes. What? It was, the st- and then it was over. And it's, like, there's no after show. There's no. Yeah, I don't think they could get everyone together for an after show or like a reunion because of where we're at. Yeah. Well, that I understand, but they did a Tiger King show after show, so like they could probably do <laughs> something more than. Get them on Zoom. I mean, you're right, and they have and... been. Do- Fox has been doing the celebrity couch watching thing, so they have equipment to do it. And if this happened a year ago, that was a week finale. It should have been an hour and a half long to give us more. It just, it, it was like just over and you're like, wait, she, you hadn't even recovered from her dumping Stuart before the sperm doctor. And it was like, <laughs> wait, where am I? Is this real? But in 2020, anything's possible. So it, it was a very, very 20, oh, very yeah. 2020 end to the series. Kidding. But yeah, uh, as I wrote on our new built website, I guess as I rewrote because it was deleted the first one, in a fiery speech, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> trash TV, yet another trash pile for Fox's trash TV. Yep. Still yep, yep. crowned by Joe Millionaire, though. <sighs> oh, Joe Millionaire. Oh, Joe Millionaire. You'll, you'll never the leave the top of the heap. At least the bar was low, lowered early enough where now it's easy for everything to just walk right over. I mean, yeah, the Masked Singer is obviously fact about that. 
All right, that's my take. All right, thank, thank you. you. Shout out. <laughs> um, so we are now probably the uh, the internet's foremost uh, resource for everything labor of love. So thank you. Um, yeah, get all those site hits for labor of love. Maybe. I mean, let's see. We'll see. I I'm good. Check the activity log. See if we get any hits on that one. All right. Speaking of hits. Yeah, what else did you watch? I also watched a new show on CBS called Tough as Nails. Tough as Nails. All right. What is Tough as Nails? Uh, because they can't go out into the world and do the amazing race. Yeah. Um, host Jeff Keeley. Jeff, Jeff Keeley? Keeley? Huh? Wait, what? No, not Jeff Keeley. I was going to say. No, amazing race host. The other dude. Yeah, it, it's Coakley. I don't know how to say his last name. <laughs> Bill Keegan. That guy. Yeah. Bill Keegan uh, is hosting Tough as Nails, which okay. basically puts, or not puts, but pits all these hardworking, blue collar, real, real patriotic blooded Americans uh-huh. against each other to determine who is Tough as Nails. Okay. Unlike other reality competitions, Everyone that's a part of this show is in it until the end of the season. And they're split into two teams. But at the end of each one, you're, you, the losing team has to choose two people to go up against each other in a clocked out um, type of head-to-head game where if you're clocked out, you don't, you're not eligible to win the grand prize. Mm-hmm. But you still continue on as a team to win the team prize Got it. which is split of a hundred thousand dollars and i think the grand prize is for single visual is a million or half a million dollars okay but they have to do various hard labor labor tasks yeah like lugging concrete hammering nails into a railroad station um building a wall a concrete wall and then having it judge on how perfect it is and so it's all these like manly, masculine, that you would think masculine type jobs. Mm-hmm. But the women in the show are kicking everyone's ass. That's oh, hilarious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I bet. It's great to see. It also, it's also very different from a lot of other competitions out there because teamwork, because they do two tasks, the teamwork task and the individual tasks. And watching them do the teamwork task is fascinating especially doing all these jobs that you normally wouldn't see in a either reality competition or something that like what was it called um the dirty jobs um show right did. right right so it's real fascinating especially on primetime cv excuse me primetime cbs yeah uh, i'll keep watching it every now and then but i'm fascinated or at least intrigued if you like watching really strong people do stuff that only really strong people can do, I mean, this sounds like a show for you. Or if you want to watch stuff like, hey, I could do that, and then everyone complains about it, it's like, oh, maybe I can't do that. Maybe I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then now for something that's the polar opposite of watching really strong people do really strong things, let's watch some people play The Sims on their computer. <laughs> So I accidentally watched the show. <laughs> <laughs> so 
See, I actually had heard that I knew that this was happening and I thought it was a unique idea. And so when I saw this on here, I was like, oh, he must have seen this too. But no, apparently not. No, <laughs> like, like I saw a commercial for it uh-huh. the day it was premiering. <laughs> so I was like, oh, what's this? Sims competition? Oh, it's on at 11 at night? Yeah. Okay, sure, TBS. I'll watch it. <laughs> All right, so tell me about The Sims Sparked. Uh, the Sims Sparked takes place in Sims 4 and is a team-based competition where all these, I, I want to call them Sims experts. Yeah, the Sims personalities uh, that have been become known for streaming the game on YouTube and other services. Mm-hmm. Well, they've all gotten together sometime last year, I assume. Yeah. Because uh, they're very close quartered. Uh, <laughs> to have a Sims part of the TBS eSports lineup a, of Sims competition. Yeah. Where they, they're given random objects to, this is the first episode, there were random objects spread throughout the room and they had to pick one and incorporate that into a Sims story that they had to build. Yeah. And then convey that story to the panel of judges who would ultimately choose who had the best story, who had the worst story, and ultimately who would be sent home. So, having played The Sims for, what is it, a day and a half? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can appreciate everything that they've gone through to create these things. And given that they're they're, they're usually in a time crunch of two or three hours to not just, like, build their characters, which for me would take probably three hours itself, but also build the world and create a story and be able to shoot, make them do the simoleon action little verbiage and kind of like VO dialogue within that time limit is in itself impressive. Yeah. But I also feel you have to be kind of into the sins. Yeah. In order to really appreciate the show. I wondered, yeah, because because yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can do with The Sims, but really only the like the streamers and the people who really dedicate their entire lives to The Sims are probably aware of some of the more like specific things. Right, and kind of like as a like a passing knowledge of The Sims and vaguely playing the game. Yeah. It's, I think it feels like they like jump just jump them into open world playthrough scenario and kind of just set it up to go rather than do like a career mode like I was doing and assume career mode. Right. I mean, it makes sense for a reality show to just have these challenges instead of these longer, long-form things. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it seems like a neat concept. I mean, it goes to show you that esports content can be made from uh, from games that are not necessarily competitive. It uh, makes me imagine, like, you could do something like this for Animal Crossing, for example. Oh, be, yeah, I could see that, too. You're pretty cool. But, yeah, so, so you think there's promise here in the setup? Do you think that you would continue watching this? Um, or is it just too deep in the Sims weeds for you? I think if the teams told better stories, because, mm-hmm. like, the first episode, they were just, like, literally thrown together. Yeah. Now you have to meld with your team to create a story. There's no, like getting to know the other person, getting to know how they, they work together, 
like their strength, their weaknesses, it's pretty much get up and go. And that does hinder it. Yeah. But at the same time, that's kind of where most reality competitions kind of start. I mean, that depends, but it would be like if we had, if you had, instead of Lego masters where the teams already came built is if you had a bunch of people and then they had to form teams on day one. Yeah. Kind of like like that. that. Yeah. It's interesting though. I mean, um, I might check this out just because I'm curious on how you would present the Sims in a show like this. So it seems neat. Yeah. Uh, all everyone on there seems very creative, and I'll give them that much. That's cool. Okay, last oh, last but not least, you have one show that was a uh, that's a Peacock exclusive. Uh, yeah, I'll be real brief on this because okay. I binge watched it uh, an hour ago. Okay, today I finished it. Yeah, um, and. I'm still not quite sure how I feel about it. All right. So Peacock original Brave New World based off the Aldous Huxley book mm. of the same name, A Brave New World, which the book came out in 19, what, 20 something? It's been a while, certainly. <laughs> so it's been out for, let's say, 100 years or so. <laughs> and like in the book, it, it depicts utopian society and how it's not really a utopian society because you have no free will, free choice. Yeah. Those ideas are explored in here, but because the show depicts such a utopian society that we as a society now are nowhere near that, <sighs> it's kind of hard to kind of make that correlation. Like the book, I assume, was making where this is what could happen. This is how people should feel. Free will is a choice. Yeah. People need to experience things in order to not be mundane or controlled. And the show does delve into that, but at the same time, because it wants to keep the main characters throughout the series, a lot of them like deviate from the book where the one guy doesn't kill himself. Uh, he doesn't kill someone else because he's the main character. Um, I think the protagonist eventually hangs himself in the book, but doesn't in the show. So it does deviate and does take liberties, but at the same time, it's trying to convey a message of utopian society versus what is deemed chaotic and savage, but is really human life as we know and how it should be. Mm. We are given free choice, free will, not controlled by Big Brother, or not scared of Big Brother, not put into like a zombie-like mind state, where you just accept things and don't like question it. So it has these two like ideals conflicting throughout the show but at the same time, not really rooting for any one character to be invested in. I think that's my biggest problem with the show. So do you think that, yeah, so it sounds like it's kind of drowning in its ideologies, where it's just like, it's so, they basically were like, okay, we're making a prestige show based on Brave New World. What do we need? And they had this laundry list of these themes they wanted to address. And then they kind of want to tell the same story, but like nips and tucks throughout. And so do you think they maybe sacrifice some of the interesting characters and in plot for that laundry li- checkbox list of themes that they need to address? 
I don't think so because I'd gone back and like read the Wikipedia mm-hmm. like quick summary article of a Brave New World when it was done. I was like, okay, they hit this, they hit this, they hit this. I see what they were doing here. I see they got this across. They included these characters. And then mm-hmm. it kind of deviated as it got towards the end of the book because the book ends, but the series doesn't. And it at the end, it kind of it switched from being a show about free choice and making that free choice to being a show about an uprising and basically causing chaos in order to be your own person and how you shouldn't treat people in a very heavily classed society, which is where it seemed to be going, but then never fully went there until the very last episode. Yeah. And it was like, even hinting at this the whole time, and now you give me the thing that I want, but then it ends, and you don't get to see the aftermath of everything. It's like, hey, we have stuff for season two, because the stuff that you want to see is like all the like utopian, dystopian, sci-fi stuff that is not based in the book, but we want to show you that in a season two, should we get it? Right. We ran out of stuff to talk about within the book in season <laughs> one, as that's what we focused on. Yeah, it's going to have that based on a book problem, which is what happens when you run out of stuff in the book. And Right, and you want to keep your main character because he's played by, uh, was it Alden Arright, uh, Han Solo? Right, 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 that guy. So you, you want to keep him around because he's basically the face of the show and he's the one who comes in and causes the chaos. Yeah. But at the same time, spoiler, real big spoiler here, there is a bit of an AI problem that evolves okay. from it where the main character, John, basically frees everyone from the classed society, which was set up by a former, basically, big tech company who created an AI in order to keep everyone happy. But now that AI is set free from its constraints and now solely lives within a person. Yeah. And so that kind of what ends up happening is devolving the society of no one is now in charge, which I think is what, is not what the book went with, but kind of what the book was hinting at. Mm-hmm. Like in order for everyone to be equal, no one should be above each other in a class society. And so they're breaking that mold. But now it's set up to where, well, you can do anything you want now. Or can you really? Because you've only been conditioned to do certain things. And because of that, you only know how to do certain things. Like, you can't go out there and be a farmer because you have no idea how to farm. You can't go up there and, like, weld stuff together because we had other people who learned and traits to do that. But like when those people like rise up because they feel like they've been treated unfairly, where does that go? And that's kind of season two, kind of beeping in my head back here, like, yeah. hey, there's all these other big grand grandier ideas we can play with now that we've set up the society via season one. Well, that seems like a lot. Oh, if you thought that was a lot, there's a lot more sex and orgy stuff in this thing than probably Game of Thrones. 
Well, there you have yeah. it. If you want sex and orgy stuff yeah, and naked orgies, people throwing yourself around, I got you. Brave New World's for you. Otherwise, yeah. it's filled with a lot of these high concept, big yeah. ideas that loves to play with, but may fall short for certain viewers. Okay. Or well, may not connect one on one. I mean, the thing that we can say about all these Peacock shows is hey, it's free for seven days. I understand that the original content is under the premium umbrella. So if you want to try this out, you can sign up for the free trial and not have to pay the $5. So there you go. Right. And I finished it in a day. So yeah. So it's at 40 minutes each. So it's possible. Possible. All right. Well, anything else put in TV before we move on to the flip side of the show here? Side B. Uh, did we say baseball is back? Because baseball's back. Baseball a lot in sports. We'll be talking about it next week. All right. We covered it. All right, let's talk about music then. I hand this over, or actually before music, cancellations and renewals real quick. We got to get those done. Yes, actual cancellations. We'll go back real quick. First up, Good Witch on Hallmark gets a seventh season. Chesapeake Shores on Hallmark gets a fifth season. USA has canceled Briar Patch after just one season. And in deaths this week, just one major one uh, in US politics. John Lewis, age 80, civil rights leader, member of the U.S. House of Representatives for years, recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011, a hero to many, a severe loss, and a driving force between, behind a lot of uh, very important civil rights uh, movements in both the civil rights era in the 60s when he was active um, in, that kind of, in that scene, and then later as a uh, representative in, in the House. So yeah, definitely will be missed, uh, made a huge impact on, on politics as we know it. Yep. So there you go. That was the big one. Yep. Let's, um, let's move to music now. Take it to music. I hand this over to you. Let's talk about Billboard. All right. We always start Billboard with your singles chart, your Hot 100. And yep. the hottest song out there Ooh, is still continuing to be the hottest song out there. Yep. Rockstar by Da Baby featuring Roddy Rich. I've never heard this. I don't know what it sounds like. I still haven't heard this song. <laughs> uh, number two, Come and Go by Juice World mm-hmm. and Marshmallow. Yep. Uh, this is from the new Juice World album. Yes. All posthumous, of course, yep. for Juice World. Uh, number three, What's Poppin' by Jack Harlow featuring Da Baby, Tory Lanez. And Lil Wayne. We'll talk about Tory Lanez a little bit more uh, later in the music section. Uh, At number four, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. And at number five, Wishing Well by Juice World. He's got two in the top five. Juice Worlds. As for the Billboard 200, your albums chart, if having two singles in the top five wasn't enough, Legends Never Die by Juice World is oh, your number one album. That title. Yeah. Well, yes, a posthumous title. Yeah. Mm. Uh, at number two, we have Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon by Pop Smoke. Also posthumous. Yep. At number three, Hamilton, colon, an American musical. Also posthumous. Also. Okay. Mm. <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> uh, 
from the original Broadway cast, which the cast is not posthumous, but yeah, they're still alive. Is. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and number four, my turn. Bye, little baby. And rounding out the top five and possibly album of the year <laughs> based on album billboard charts. Uh, maybe. Uh, Hollywood's Bleeding by Post Malone. Yeah. Keeps going. Keeps going. Well, if you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases. All right. What am I listening to this week? I don't know what you're listening to, but here are the new releases. Okay. We have Old Flowers by Courtney Marie Andrews. All three of them. All three of them. It's my line. We also have All the Time <laughs> by Jesse Lanza. Uh, seeing Through Sound, parentheses, Penetrial, Volume 2, uh, by John Hasselt. Uh, no Pressure, by Logic. Yes, that Logic. Yeah. It's supposedly his last album, even though he said that last time. <laughs> well, no pressure there. The man keeps trying to retire. Oh, speaking of trying to retire. Okay. Real briefly, Antonio Brown retired again. Oh, we didn't talk about that, but okay. No, because he was already retired. He just re-retired. That's yeah. so. Yeah. Um, the Ballader by Lauren Balladier. McKenna. The Balladier by Lauren <laughs> McKenna. All Distortions Are Intentional by <laughs> Neck Deep. I Can Feel You Forgetting Me by Neon Trees. Yes, those neon trees. Yeah, neon trees. And lastly, 2020 by Ronan Keating. How appropriate. How appropriate. All right, let's get to some music news, shall we? Yeah. Ah, well, guns a-blazing for Megan the Stallion. Oh, boy. As she and an unidentified woman were in a car with rapper Tory Lanez when he was arrested early Sunday for having concealed weapons in his vehicle. After officers received reports that Tory Lanez was present when shots were fired outside a house in the Hollywood Hills. Megan, uh, should we give her real name or should we just keep calling her Megan the Stallion? It's in the story. Well, Megan Pete, as her real name goes, was not arrested, but was reported by TMZ to have suffered an injury to her foot due to broken glass on the floor of the car. However, according to Megan's statement, she was shot by an assailant and has not yet named. Uh, Some unverified reports on Thursday claimed that Lanes was the shooter but this was not confirmed by police and no statements about it have been made. Although a Los Angeles police spokesperson did confirm to Variety on Friday afternoon that an assault with a deadly weapon investigation has been opened based on Megan's statements. No suspect has been named and no one is in custody in connection with that investigation Mm -hmm. currently, according to the report. Yeah. So um, regardless of what story is what occurred, and I'm sure this will go through a lot of 
research and there will be some sort of conclusion after like all the evidence is absorbed and thought about. Um, but regardless, uh, Megan Thee Stallion has been very, very uh, vocal on social media saying that re like, regardless of what happened, she was in a lot of danger in this situation. Any way you look at it with all the things that mm -hmm. you just read, she was in danger here. Um, and yeah, what, and she's not naming names on purpose because it's not about that. She seems to be wanting the story to be about how it is just an unsafe world to be in uh, for someone who is a, a very, very, like, vis like, very, I'm not thinking of the right word for it, but, but she is a, somebody who has a lot of eyes on her all the time as a prominently featured artist in the world of hip hop, especially as a black woman. And so the reaction to this event has been surprisingly negative. A lot of people that are either, you know, setting up themselves as in Tory Lanez's camp and are criticizing Megan or making awful jokes at Megan's like expense. Like it's really, it's totally just ignorant of the, the pain that she's clearly going through from both this, the trauma of the event and all the things that have happened afterwards. So yeah, it's rough uh, being like in the public eye uh, where something like this is poured over for weeks and weeks and fans just don't know how to re react appropriately. It just seems like a disaster. Well, also initial reaction to anything kind of regarding this, regarding shootings, surrounding celebrities yeah is always the initial reaction is and always will be visceral because you have a lot of emotions immediately flooding yeah whether pent-up emotions or brings back memories or yeah how you relate this to other things in your day-to-day -day life so yeah it's it's real rough and um i hope that she recovers both physically and mentally because i i, I mean it, i'm sure that there's pain both ways there and I hope they figure out get the bottom of what exactly happened. And we'll see. That's uh, investigations for you. Yep. yep. All right. Moving on. Actually, I'm hungry. I could yeah. use a burger. Well, a burger records. Yeah, not this one. You don't want this burger. Trust me. Okay. Let's talk about the tainted burger records. As this is yeah. Real quick, I wanted to say that this may strike uh, strike listeners initially as a local story, but believe it or not, it is not a local story. It happens to also be a local story, but at the same time, it has bigger implications for uh, indie music. All right. Well, in the past few days, a number of people have accused Burger Records, the California Garage Rock Record Store and Label of fostering a climate of sexual predation. Uh, women have accused Burger founder Sean Bar Borman and Lee Rickard, as well as many artists tied to Burger Records, of preying on underage girls. Across the label's enterprises, different men have been accused of rape, sexual assault, and a whole lot of other terrible things. Yesterday, uh, Burger Records announced that it would attempt to undergo, quote, major structural changes, a process that includes changing the name of the label to BRGR Rex and launching an all-women imprint called Burger Girl. <laughs> that won't be happening. No. <laughs> Instead, Burger Records is shutting down completely 
yeah. uh, reached by Pitchfork, uh, Borman wrote, quote, we decided to fold the label, confirming that the Burger Rex rebranding would not happen. When asked for further comment, Borman sent a video of Porky Pig saying, ebody, 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 that's all, folks. Uh, Borman also said what Burger Records would remove all of its releases from streaming platforms, a process that has already begun. He further claims that the artists who recorded for Burger own their music, so they will be able to redistribute those records themselves. Mm. The Burger Records social media pages have all gone dark, and thus the end of Burger Records. So yeah, um, just a, a listener note. So we both attended Cal State University Ful- uh, Fullerton yes. and Burger Records shop and headquarters is actually down the street from the school. Um, I so, tried to intern there once. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a local institution. It was like a place to get records near the college. Like it was a community hotspot in a lot of ways. And it was a label that I had listened to off and on uh, certain artists from over the years. And the thing that was unique about them, and actually the good news, the only good news to come out of this whole story is that they never actually signed their artists. There was no contract up front. How basically Burger worked is that they would manufacture cassettes for you. That was kind of their specialty was cassettes instead Mm -hmm. of records. And you basically would just like sign, like you would work with them to like, finance that part of it but there was no contract so that means that yes as it's as you said at the end of the story here that the artists still own their music so even though burger is doing their due diligence and removing all their burger labeled um artists and music from their from the streaming services that artist then can just take their own like copy and basically and upload that themselves as a self-released release Right, and they can also take their music and go elsewhere. They own it, and that's one of the big yeah. things for, especially bands and singers, singer-songwriters, right. is owning your own music. Yeah, we'll talk about that again briefly in thoughts. Uh, we'll kind of circle back to the subject of owning your own masters in a bit. Um, but yeah, um, the bad news, of course, is that they uh, fostered this, like all these artists, presumably knowing that this was happening kind of underground. Um, so the, th- uh, so here's kind of the, my timeline of how I saw this, this goes. I follow a lot of artists that are tangentially or directly related with the label on Twitter. And so, yeah, I had started seeing some kind of grumblings about, uh, calling out specific people in the burger community early last week, I think as early as last week and sort of like steamrolled from then. And then burger themselves went on their social media and basically said, we have zero tolerance policy. We're going to, you know, do what we can to remove these artists from our, our store and from our, or from our label. But again, because their relationship is not contractual and they're not members of the label, that's all they could do. So there's limits just inherent to the way that they set up their business to whether or not somebody is actually doing business with Burger at all. Then the thing they screwed up on was, is among other things, obviously among bigger blanket things, the, the thing that ultimately led to the people just giving up on them as a label was that 
people started posting comments on that Twitter post about their zero tolerance policy, making further accusations, including accusations for the founders of the company and themselves. When Berger saw that, they started muting those accounts. They started removing those comments from the thread and ultimately locked the thread to further comments. That is not good optics. If that is want... basically an admission of guilt. Exactly. As soon as, as soon as the label started basically stopping the conversations from happening, they lost all credibility. And they lost, and that, and the whole thing just fell apart in front of them. Because, yeah, I probably, like a lot of many people, saw that zero tolerance post and was like, okay, at least they're addressing it. At least they're doing something. But when I saw start, people started talking about how they were basically freezing people out of the conversation, Burger was done. And they probably knew that too. So even though they had made that statement about rebranding, they did what they had to do. Uh, the other kind of wrinkle to this is that I guess part of this restructuring was that they were going to change leadership. There was going to be an interim president of the label. Well, the interim president changed her mind overnight, I guess, and decided this morning that she was no longer interested in being the interim president which is probably the last straw for, for leadership. And that ultimately led to them just be like, well, you know what? We can't regain any of this trust. There's nothing we can do to continue this label as it stood without people just constantly thinking about this and just having a tarnished record for the rest of their existence. So they did what they had to do and they killed it. So as far as I know, this will also be the end of the, shop too um so yeah um if you want I, I tweeted something of this like this morning but if anybody's out there and want to make a uh, a record label and or record shop that uh wants to actually be progressive and inclusive and wants to make orange county matter again for a place where music happens there's an, a void that needs to be filled now like this is your chance go do it hey matt <laughs> platform would I'm saying, you like to <laughs> saying, there's, be if, a record label producer? If people want to figure it out, this is the chance. This is the chance. I'm maybe thinking in the back of my mind, maybe stuff I can do. Of course, I don't want it to be somebody who looks like me, though. What I'm saying is, is I think that if you're a marginalized person, this is your chance because those are the voices that I think that are going to be the ones that are going to be the future of this this industry and if any place needs it it's orange county right now so go forth make music don't let this discourage you it's not all bad straight white people ruining the freaking industry there's an opportunity here to make music that that and this is this is a chance all right new progressive record label name go well i mean we'll talk post pot about something but all right. But yeah, I'm just planting the seed in people's heads. Like this is not, this may be the end of a quote institution, but you know what? Institutions are dumb and new beginnings can happen and be even better than things that, that were before. So go forth and make music is what I'm Pardon saying. Pardon the phrase, but it's a brave new world. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, don't, no, 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 no. We don't want to end up like that. Anyway, this is the stuff that prevents that from happening. Anyway. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on to music thoughts then. Yes. All right. Um, 
Would you like to talk about the Illuminati's first? <laughs> yes, I'd like to talk about the Illuminati. So six six six. Five five five. Lizard people. Eight seven one eight. That everybody's the, the lizard people are running the government. No, you mean you're asking me if I want to talk about the Illuminati hotties? It's different. Yes, are they as hottie as the Illuminati? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, real quick. So Illuminati Hotties is a band I've been following for a few years now. Um, this is their second release that almost didn't happen. Um, so you know how we had talked about the subject of artists holding their masters. Uh, this has come up a few times, most prominently with Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun's purchase of Big Machine Records mm-hmm. and how she doesn't basically have access to original catalog because of that. Yes. So this is not just a thing that the major labels have uh, to deal with. Like even small indie labels, uh, a lot of artists in that world have been dealing with the same drama, uh, notably with the indie label Tiny Engines, which has been around for a little bit, venerable home for a lot of prominent indie, indie artists, one of them being Illuminati Hotties, who put their first record out on Tiny Engines. So... Some Twitter drama happened last year that kind of revealed uh, that Tiny Engines was, one, uh, doing weird contractual stuff with their artists, and two, not releasing masters when asked uh, for artists who wanted to relocate and record elsewhere. So they basically, in a similar way to Berger, got shut down by the whole ordeal and have not basically put out any music or appeared on social media since all that drama went down and have ostensibly disappeared. Well, that kind of leaves a lot of artists in the lurch. And so Illuminati Hotties was affected by this. They had a, a, a contract that had a two album deal for Tiny Engines. They had a second record ready to go, but wasn't done and, wasn't, and they didn't feel like they wanted to release it under that label with all the drama that had happened. So they went to the negotiation table and basically said, all right, well, we'll record something which you, I guess, will still get money from. Tiny Engines will receive some sort of money, but it won't be the proper second album. And it will be self-released. So it won't be under the label, but they'll get some sort of kickback from it. And thus you get the album that they have put out under the name Free IH, This Is Not The One You've Been Waiting For. (laughs) So from the top, from the top, like from the t- title and from the content of the songs, you're, it's very clear here how they feel about this thing. And you would think, oh, this must be just tossed off, right? Like no effort put in. Right, which we've seen from other artists who put out an album because they're contractually obligated to put out an album. Yeah, the classic narrative is that the contractual obligation record is usually not very good. Right. This is an exception to the rule. Uh, because I think this is even better than the first one. So the first record that they put out was kind of a fun, like, hooky indie indie rock uh, with, like, the occasional ballad, like, charming, like, indie stuff. This one is a little bit more adventurous. This one's a little bit more punk. It's a little bit more guitar-driven. It's a little bit uh, all over the place rhythmically. And it really benefits uh, the hotties here. Uh, so the lead creative of the band, Sarah Tudzen, is like a producer on the side as well. Uh, she's worked on a, a bunch of other 
records. She even interned with somebody who is now a touring producer for Imagine Dragons. Hmm. Uh, so she kind of had a, her foot in the production world for a while as an engineer. But then she also started the Illuminati Hotties project to be her own, like to make her own music under her own name as well. And yeah, this shows off kind of both ends of that. It's a lot of neat production tricks. It acts as kind of like a calling card in a way for all the stuff that she has engineering chops to do down the line. Once, of course, music production starts again and she gets actually hired to do more work, that is. Uh, but yeah, it's really, really fun. I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, it's 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 hard-edged in a way I wasn't expecting. And yeah, it's definitely not just tossed off, which ultimately leads to a lot of hope for a proper next real album whenever she makes a negotiation with another label to do that. So it's cool. Um, I go into more detail on the website. If you want to look up my full thoughts about it, uh, they're on mediaboatpodcast.com. So check that out. So do you feel this is a demo tape to other labels and producers out there, basically? I don't think I'm Okay, here's what I can do, or here's what we have the potential of doing. So I listened to an uh, interview with her, and they did bring that up uh, in the interview. And she was basically like, well, it wasn't intended to be that, but it wouldn't hurt is basically how she put it. Is like right. She's always looking for new gigs and to work with her other artists that she loves. So it could all, uh, absolutely lead to more of that. Okay. Now let's get to the meat and potatoes of probably this podcast. Yeah, well, or at least I don't this know episode. that much to talk about it. Yes, uh, there was a big release this week. Uh, yes. Beware, you're not being gaslighted or gaslighter, but formerly of Dixie, the Chicks have put out an album titled Gaslighter. Yeah. Uh, same name as their um, debut song. Not debut song, but the big so, one. Yeah. So, so yeah, 14 years uh, since their last record. The Grammy Album of the Year winning Taking the Long Way uh, mm-hmm. way back in 2006. Um, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> It's been a while. I mean, it's been a while since we started talking about this record. We started talking about it a few months ago. It was originally scheduled for the end of May, right? And then got delayed till July. And here it is. It's finally here. Finally, new music by the Chicks, a band that I have loved for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, we both listened to this thing. Uh, what did you think of it? Uh, can I first off issue an apology to whoever <laughs> heard them? because wow there's some strong words in this thing you need some aloe for that burn huh yeah uh talk about anthems talk about being forefront in movements talk about women's rights and all this talk about saying stuff that is hard to say but needs to be said and being said so in a way that that affects me and most songs don't affect me hard (laughs) i am a very passive listener Uh but when you get me to actively listen to your album you're doing something right yeah and this thing made me actively listen to it well maybe stop halfway through because i was like wait are they saying what i think they're saying yeah rewind it and then listen to it again front to back not once, but twice. Yeah. 
And that's the thing, they, they've always been a band that's been very good about that. When you think back to the, the, the Chicks catalog, they've had countless songs that are very emotional based on a real experience that one of them had that would just like was full of like brutal heartbreak. And this one's even more personal, if you can believe it, as most of the stories here are about uh, singer Natalie Maines' divorce. So she was married for almost 20 years and they got divorced in 2017 and only finalized in 2019. And a lot of the very specific stories from this record come specifically from the experience uh, that led to her divorce. And so, yeah, there's a real raw emotion coming from that experience that you can hear in a lot of the songs. That's, yeah, it's really affecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you said, you put something on the website for this. Yes. Yeah, I have some more detailed thoughts on the website uh, that kind of go into even like some song by song kind of breakdowns. But um, but yeah, I, I definitely had a good time with this thing. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely different sound wise uh, than the classic Chicks albums. It's closer to something that you would have, something like the last record that they put out, but even but in a more poppy direction. I mean, we have Jack Antonoff uh, mm -hmm. doing production for this thing. So he kind of brings his chops to, to it, uh, which makes the production nuanced and uh, glistening in a way that you wouldn't have uh, in, in other hands. Um, it's similar, it reminded, a lot of the production tricks reminded me very specifically of his work on Taylor Swift's Lover, a album right, which, which the chicks appeared. Followed up on. So yeah, I think that it's it's definitely brought them into a really interesting place. And I think, and I say this in the in the written piece as well, that I think the best moments on this record are the ones that are the most experimental, are the most like getting out of that comfort zone of like their traditional kind of bluegrass inspired sound and bringing them into a poppy, like a pop world. Yeah, listening to this album, I had very similar reaction to when I listened to Golden Hour. Yeah. By Casey Musgraves. Yes. And that ended up winning album of the year. <laughs> and I can, even though there, there's no one specific song that I can point to because they're all pretty good. Yeah. I can see this winning, like at least being nominated, just get up there and have the real shot at winning. It's a strong contender. I mean, um, it's definitely. Yeah, the emotional content, I think, really dovetails well with the, the stuff they're trying out with the music. And there are some traditional ballads on here. It's not like there isn't. There's some stuff that would fit in with their earlier catalog as well. Um, I mean, you can't really take them out of the genre. Uh, you can only kind of move them in a direction. And I think that that's really telling mm -hmm. um, that with a lot of the, mo the best moments in the record are when, yeah, like when I was saying earlier, it's like when they really combine the things that they're really good at with this kind of new version of their sound. So yeah, I, I think it's excellent. Um, they're still one of the best bands in biz. I think they just keep proving it over and over again every time they make a comeback. And yeah, I think this is a strong effort. So definitely a go listen to it. Because you're gonna yeah. feel things. Definitely go go listen to it for sure. I think it's I think it's strong. Um, I did see some complaints about uh, like if just to have like a little negative like little corner here. Mm -hmm. um, seems like some people are saying that's maybe a little over long. I 
tend to agree. There's maybe a couple songs that maybe towards the back end don't necessarily need to be there, but maybe are there for more emotional heft. And, you know, I can see that. Um, then the other thing I did say is that there seems to be like maybe an undercurrent of like, oh, they could have made a little bit more of a political message in some of the more political leaning songs um, that maybe isn't quite there. Um, but ultimately that's not what this record is, is like, I don't think, I genuinely, my read of that criticism is I don't necessarily think that this was meant to be a political album. Maybe one track um, really addresses that kind of thing. The rest of it does seem to be more of a personal story. And that's how I'm, that's the lens I'm choosing to see this whole project through. And so through that lens, I'm able to say, it's like, yeah, it's not a big deal if they don't have a big commentary to make. Like they don't have to make a big commentary here. This is a personal story. No, it definitely feels like a personal story. Like every lyric in there does hit on some level. Yeah. So yeah, Um, I think it's good. Um, you'll we'll probably see this one back at the end of the year somewhere maybe perhaps Uh, let's head into wrapping this show up with video games we start with new releases we always do well we had big releases last week so here comes the rest yeah with Roki for the Switch and PC Crisis Remastered for the Switch Carry On by Xbox, Switch, and PC. (laughs) Destroy All Humans, remastered for the PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Other Side for PlayStation, Xbox, PC. Pistol Whip for the PlayStation. Samurai Showdown Neo Geo Collection for the PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. And... Skater XL for the PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Just the biggest skater you've ever seen. Just extra large. Uh, he came out of Men's Warehouse XL. <laughs> yeah. Big and tall skaters. That's <laughs> all I'm about. I'm about those big and tall ones. All right. Well, if you don't like big and tall, how about free to play? I love first story is about a free to play game. Well, it's going free to play. Yeah. As Rocket League is officially, finally, after all these years, going free to play <laughs> later this summer. Yeah. Psionics announced the free to play update will be the biggest one yet. Big. And will introduce major changes to the tournaments and challenge system. Rocket, this coincides with Rocket League launching on the Epic Game Store for the first time. The Epic version will be identical to the versions on other platforms with cross-platform functionality. The cross-platform progression will also be added for your team's inventory, rocket pass progression, and your competitive rank by linking to an Epic Games account. While new players will no longer be able to download a copy of the game on Steam, once it goes free to play, anyone who already owns a copy of Rocket League on any platform, including Steam, will have support for any future updates and features. Yeah. Now, I got Rocket League, I believe it was for free, through PlayStation Plus. Yeah. Years, I guess now it's years ago. Yeah, years ago. 
what it's feels like long, years ago. Yeah, it's been a long road for Rocket League. It's been a very popular game in its current state. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately it's a great choice for free to play. It's like a really good pick up and play experience with a lot of cosmetic things that you can buy on the side if you choose to. And I think that allowing, turning into a, play, a free-to-play thing is a really smart idea. Right. Um, but it is unfortunate that it will be taken off Steam. I mean, yes, technically. Uh, but yeah, the, it's basically, if I re- am I misremembering or did Epic buy Psionics? And is this why this is all happening? I don't I know if we covered it, but something like that happened. Maybe happening. some sort of it changed hands somehow. I remember somebody bought them. So yeah, regardless, that's probably what's happening here is that they've just got a deal, and this made sense for them financially to do, and they don't necessarily need sales on Steam to really keep them afloat. Right, because microtransactions for everything now. Yeah, and plus, like going with Epic. Like if that deal is true, that they have a tournament set up within yeah. in house to push Rocket League to cross the esports commerce. It could be. It could be a big plan for them. So hey, it's it's stands as a testament to how good of a game it is that it's existed so long and had so many different lives and just like continues to be a juggernaut. Just like it's such a good core design. That I know, and it wasn't even supposed to be called Rocket League. No, it, yeah, it's just one of those, it's just going to be one of those eternal games. Like when people think of like games that just exist, like Tetris, Minecraft. Oh, no, don't, Minecraft. don't put it up with Tetris and Minecraft. Those <laughs> are on a whole other immortal no. level. Those are immortal games. <laughs> I don't know. It's looking that it could be maybe. It could be one of those. Yeah, we'll see. I and mean, the concept is simple enough. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Anyways, our final story of the night uh, deals with Microsoft. As they previously expressed interest in bringing Xbox games and services to other platforms, comments from Xbox boss Phil Spencer suggest that degree of crossover is now unlikely. In a new video interview with GameStar, spotted by Eurogamer, you know, side note there. Uh, Spence, Phil Spencer discussed the company's long-held Spence, goal. Yeah, as you call him. What? <laughs> as you called him Spence. Yeah, Spence. Lane Spence. Yeah, Phil Spencer uh, discussed the company's long-held goal to make its games and services more available. Quote, it's about players making choices, gamers making choices. It's it really is not just offering choices for choices' sake, but rather offering gamers the ability to choose how they want to experience our platform and our games. Uh, the thing about other game, other gaming console platforms is that we're not able to bring the full Xbox experience on those platforms. And he continues on, uh, quote, in places where we have like mobile phones, which we're doing now with xCloud coming to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate for no extra charge, plug, which we think is a great value to allow people to play on the go, and what we've done with PC in bringing our full Xbox experience there. Because we know that when somebody's playing our Xbox games, 
there's an expectation that I've got my Xbox Live community, I have my achievements, Game Pass is, is an option, my first party library is completely there. And the other competitive platforms aren't really that interested in having a full Xbox experience on their hardware. He wraps up the interview by stating, quote, but for us, we want to be where gamers want to be, and that's the path mm-hmm. we're on. So, <sighs> yeah. does this mean they're going to play nice with Sony because they are ramping up production on the PS5 and people are clamoring for it? So, no, I think it's the opposite of that. I think what they're saying is that they tried playing nice with Sony and Nintendo, and Sony and Nintendo came back to them and was like, we don't want your Xbox crap on our systems. No. Because Microsoft probably showed up to them being like, hey, because remember there was that story a while back about one of, some Microsoft game on, like, like that they had some sort of thing to deal with uh, on Switch being, having a login to Xbox Live. And the conversation that kind of happened after that was, oh, there's rumors going around that Microsoft's been shopping around to the other platform holders, holders being like, hey, do you want more of this? Like here, we can start like putting Xbox Live on your service, like we can start, that was where that rumor about Xbox Game Pass coming to Switch came from. Mm-hmm. And this is them finally being like, hey, we tried guys, but they basically gave us a big no as soon as we brought it up. They probably rolled up to Nintendo, was like, hey, if, we, if you're interested in this, we want the whole suite. We want everything. I think they Nintendo want to implement their said, own Microsoft GUI, their uh, no. interface. And I think because they're proprietary owned to each company, you know, making one fell swoop across all platforms like they do with PC makes sense on a play that way. Yeah. But only makes sense to Microsoft. Yeah. Nintendo probably saw that and was like, yeah, but, but you're telling us that you want this to be like your ecosystem. So all of a sudden, then somebody's using a Nintendo platform playing a game that they did not purchase through the Nintendo eShop or through a retailer, all of a sudden Nintendo realizes, wait, that's going around basically playing a video game that we had nothing to do with on our console, which is not how Nintendo has done business since their inception. Nintendo's always been a company who's very, like, very picky about licensing fees and like making sure that their ecosystem is kind of in the Apple way that their ecosystem is their ecosystem and people are in it and stuck in it and don't have a way around it. Right. But look at like, I'm saying this from a PC side, like Dell, Acer, all these other computer companies, their interface is a PC interface, which is Microsoft owned. And I think that's kind of what it sounds like they wanted to do with Xbox across I don't know if it's that sweeping. I don't think that's what they're saying here. I think what they're saying here is that it was all or nothing for them. And as soon as Nintendo said, no, we're not going to let you do Game Pass here, they probably were like, all right, well, no business then. Like, and we're going to go ahead and turn around and tell our fans that you guys said no. So that way Microsoft looks like the benevolent company where Microsoft then appears to be, oh, well, we tried to extend the olive branch to everybody else and have your games wherever you wanted it on all these platforms and have them get a piece of the pie. And they were like, no, we don't want your pie. Your pie is gross. (laughs) Or your pie isn't 
enough for us to even consider. Yeah. Because so, business, but this does, given this story out first, does allow them to control the narrative and get people's initial reactions without necessarily saying what it is that they were trying to offer or how much they wanted. Yeah. There's which a is a of, big part of the business deal. Yeah. And there's a couple of other notes here. The other thing that came out uh, this week is that's kind of tangential to this is that Microsoft is basically doing away with the Microsoft or the Xbox Live Gold as a platform. What mm -hmm. they're going to do is they're going to roll that into Ultimate Game Pass and you will no longer be, it won't, uh, won't be a separate thing going forward. Right. Xbox Live 12 month membership has been discontinued from right. the Xbox store. Already. Is Microsoft right store. Yeah, right now you can only buy monthly subscriptions, but eventually that even will be phased out. You will only be able to get Ultimate Game Pass to get those formerly gold uh, the benefits, the free games every month, etc. So soon you're going to have to be an Ultimate Game Pass subscriber to have those benefits. Or you buy a new game every month and get that free month free Yeah, that comes with every new Xbox game. You could if you wanted. Uh, so yeah, um, then the last little bit is a little bit of a preview because again, we should be doing these shows on Thursdays because guess what tomorrow is? Tomorrow is Microsoft's big first party games announcement show that will be 9 a.m. Pacific time uh, with a pre-show that begins at 8 a.m. Pacific time. Um, so yeah, they'll be showing off Halo Infinite as well as some other uh, first-party games uh, for the Xbox Series X. I had to think about the name of that console for a second there. <laughs> right. Um, they showed the artwork, or at least the box artwork, for yes. Halo Infinite uh, that yeah. came out today, right. I believe. This morning. It's been a long day. It has. And so, yeah. And, yeah, this is in anticipation for their press conference tomorrow. Yeah. Which, well, as we should note, Halo Infinite is expected to come... Yeah. to the console as part of a launch title. Yeah, so we'll have more to talk about that next week. We'll kind of do a our fake E3 recap of everything that happened in that show. It's just games, though. They said no announcement uh, about the price of the system nor any announcements regarding a possible second less expensive system, which is the rumor that's been going around since this thing was announced. Um, no, this like a discless uh, one? Right. It won't be anything to do with hardware. This will just be first-party games. But I'm excited to see some first-party uh, games. Although, the, although this is kind of what they need in order for people to get excited about it. Oh, yeah. I need to know what games are coming out for this thing. Right, because that was part of the Sony showcase was here's all these new games that we are in development or will be coming out. Yeah, I am extremely curious to see what Halo Infinite is. Really early scuttlebutt about that game talked about it being Halo meets Skyrim kind of open world kind of game design. Hmm. So we may see that tomorrow. We may not. Who knows? We'll yes, find out. Yes, but what... God of War was also God of War meets yeah. Skyrim. So yeah, imagine Halo but God of War, you know? Like, it could be Isn't that Destiny? Cool. That's just Destiny, right? Uh, but that's the thing is, are they going to go all the way to Destiny or is it going to be closer to like a first a single player experience? Are they going to go MMO with it? I don't know. We won't really know what it is until tomorrow, I guess. And even then there might be some mystery about it. So tune in tomorrow or next week when we talk about it on our show. All right.
Uh, and lastly, in video game news, Shin Megami Tensei Five is yeah. on its way for Nintendo. They had a I mean, mini direct. Yeah, they Nintendo announced that they're just going to start having mini directs, which is basically just like eight to ten minute little tiny little announcements about things. Yeah, but it's all stuff that's coming out next year, as they don't have a game slated to release this year, at least any AAA title game. So the wait continues still on Nintendo's big like E3 style announcements for this summer. Who knows when they're coming? I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. All right. So with our remaining three <laughs> minutes here, let's talk about baseball. All right, real quick. Yeah, just like a little, little last bit of things to what we've been entertaining ourselves with. It's what not you- really a video game. It's not really baseball. No, it's baseball. It's a website that you can sign up for. Watch fake baseball oh. teams. Yeah, has we been talking about fake E3 and waiting for real E3 and real baseball to yeah. start up? This is fake baseball. Fake baseball. So it's fake baseball, and the way I, I the way I think that's the most efficient way to explain it is it's salty bet, but with fake baseball. And if you are new to the Media Boat Podcast and don't know what salty bet is, salty bet is this website that I think still exists. That's just an automated um, fighting game that you basically make bets using fic- like fake money on to see which fictional character will win against the other fictional character and you watch the fight happen and then whoever wins you get money or you lose money and again it's fake money not real money so imagine that concept but with a bunch of fake baseball teams based in real cities for example our los angeles tacos the new york millennials the chicago firefighters etc etc and uh you watch games play play by text with all the weird ass randomly generated names that they come up for all these characters all these baseball players and if your team wins if the team you've signed up for wins you get five coins that you can use to bet you can bet on any team any game you want that hasn't occurred yet and you can then buy items in the shop um and make votes that change the league as different seasons start there's a season every week the weekdays are the season play postseason happens the weekend and then the next week it all starts again with a new season yep uh, games happen every hour so if you missed yeah. one hour hey you can uh join in the next hour or at least place your bets for the next hour to happen right yeah it's a weird ass thing it's fascinating i think the names for the teams and the players are hilarious and every day I see I'm finding a new one that's just like makes me laugh more than the first one and yeah the betting adds kind of like a little bit of a competitive thing even though it's really not that competitive (laughs) because it's all happening random Um, and yeah there's like a meta game part to it with the voting that's really interesting my favorite part of it is that there's something you can vote for called the forbidden book where at the end of the season a forbidden book will be opened and it doesn't say what's in it doesn't say what effect it'll have on baseball as a league but man i want to know what that forbidden book is going to do i know you and everyone else i tried not to vote for the forbidden book because it said don't vote for this for the forbidden book but i voted for the forbidden book yeah no i want to know all right and with that does it for us here at the yeah. Vote podcast. So yeah, next week we'll be talking about 
Uh, all sorts of stuff. The Xbox stuff. We'll be talking about baseball. We'll be talking about, I don't know, more streaming stuff, more television. Uh, yeah, my show won't premiere until the following Friday. Um, my um, Umbrella Academy is on 31st. Well, but hey, I'm sure I'll find something new that will drop. I'm sure. Well, we'll see all that and more next week with another episode of the Media Boat Podcast. So thank you for joining us. Let's do the plugs. If you liked what you heard and want to see more, youtube.com. Just search Media Boat Podcast. You'll find our YouTube page. This is where all our video versions of these podcasts go up and are posted, as well as the occasional live stream of video games that we play. So check that out. You can also listen to our podcast in podcast audio only form by looking at your podcast service and searching Media Boat Podcast in there. You can also find us on our website, MediaBoatPodcast.com, where a lot of our thoughts are written down. Let's check that out. You can also see us on social media channels like Twitter, where our handle is at MediaBoatCast. Facebook, where we may or may not still have a page. I don't know. The link on the website doesn't work anymore. So <laughs> it might not exist anymore. I don't know. And then if you want to email us questions, comments, anything you want to say to us or ask, mediablepodcast at gmail.com is where you can do that. All right. That'll do it. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode. Have a good week. Yep. Uh, this weekend is San Diego Comic-Con or Comic-Con at home. So we'll have probably thoughts on that. And since that will wrap up on Monday, I might just keep a tab going of stuff that happened over the weekend and just post all that to the website. So stay tuned to the website for that. We'll see. Podcast.com. see you guys next week. Okay, bye. Yeah.